This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Hello, I'm Matt Kane, and welcome to Sunday Roast on Virgin Radio Pride. Now then, what's been happening since we last had a chat, other than the sweltering heat for a few days? Well, in my world, my personal world, I received an honorary doctorate from the University of Bolton, which, if you don't know, is my hometown. And I have to say, it was a massive thrill for me and very emotional too, as I grew up in Bolton hating the place because it wasn't accepting at all of gay people. And in recent years, I've gone through something of a reconciliation with the place, which is something I've written about in my novel. I've explored in the fiction I've written. Anyway, so going home for this honorary doctorate really did feel like almost the final step in my journey of falling back in love with Bolton. And it was a really proud moment. Let's look at the bigger picture now. What about the Olympic Games? We all know they've kicked off in Tokyo. I know there've been lots of problems, but they're now underway. Of course, the Olympics aren't just about sport. The idea is also to bring the world together. So on that front, the participation of LGBTQ plus athletes is always really important. And I've been very interested and encouraged to read that there are more than 160 taking part this year, which is a record. Also, for the first time ever, there's even a trans athlete taking part, New Zealand weightlifter Laurel Hubbard, which is really exciting. And on Team GB, we've got Tom Daly, Carl Hester, Susanna Townsend, to name just a handful of them. And good luck to all all of them. Away from the Olympics, um, another sports star in another world has been brave enough to come out as gay. This time it's a Canadian National Hockey League, p- League player called Luke Prokop. He's the first player on an NHL contract ever to come out as gay. Hopefully he won't be the last. If you want to read more about his story, have a look on the Pride section of the Virgin Radio website. For now, though, let's get on with our show. As usual, everyone's welcome to get involved. If you want to contact us on social media, we're on at Virgin Radio UK. Please use the hashtag Virgin Radio Pride. And I'm on at Matt Cain Writer. Or you can email us on pride at virginradio.co.uk. But however you get in touch, please do get involved and share your opinions and experiences. Now, what have we got on today's show? First of all, here are the panellists I'm going to be talking to. First up, Clemmie Moody. She is a top-flight showbiz journalist. She's currently working as assistant editor of The Sun. Previously, she's worked for The Daily Mail and The Daily Mirror. In 2019, she was voted Showbiz Press Reporter of the Year at the annual Press Awards. And if all that's not enough, she's run not one. One, but three London marathons. Clemmie and I are going to be joined by Vinegar Strokes. She's a drag queen and actor, probably best known for appearing in the first series of RuPaul's Drag Race UK. 
where she famously, how can we forget this, dressed up as the entirety of the Victoria line on the London Underground. As an actor away from Drag Race, she's also appeared in hit West End musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie and more recently, Death Drop, a Dragatha Christie murder mystery. So what are we going to be discussing? Firstly, with news of a celebrity being cancelled nearly every day, what exactly is cancel culture? And does it really exist? Or is it something that's just been invented as a means of disempowering minorities like the LGBTQ plus community? And secondly, with RuPaul's Drag Race UK confirmed for a third season, it looks like drag is absolutely here to stay. But when it emphasises slutty behaviour and bitchiness between women, can it sometimes stray into misogyny? And finally, we'll be talking about those Olympic Games, how they do, in fact, transcend sport, and what the impact could be of this year's record number of LGBTQ plus athletes. All that is coming up. The Sunday Roast with Matt Cain. Virgin Radio Pride. Hello to my guests, Clemmy Moody and Vinegar Strokes. How are you guys today? Hello, very excited. Hello, good to be here. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I'm just loving the air conditioning, really. I'm, I'm, I might as well move in. This is great. This is gorgeous. It is fantastic, isn't it? It's so hot outside. <laughs> now, I'm going to be having a little chat to each of you in between our debates and find out what you're up to. But we're going to get straight down to business with our first subject. It's one I'm sure you're both familiar with, cancel culture. <sighs> So, if our listeners have been on social media for the last couple of years, I'm sure you'll have seen a celebrity being cancelled for something they've said or done. Cancelling can mean everything from an online boycott to exclusion from social circles to even professional dismissal. Some of the most famous examples are J.K. Rowling and Piers Morgan. And just this week, the guy who directed the opening ceremony for the Tokyo Olympics was fired from his job for comments he made, anti-Semitic comments he made, but several years ago. So the question is, with cancel culture often associated with liberal, woke, in inverted commas, people, is the term being used to disempower or diminish the voice of minorities like the LGBTQ plus community? So what do we think, panellists? Clemmy, let's get straight into it with you. What do you think? Well, as someone who has uh, pretty much been cancelled and very, very nearly got cancelled, I thought it was going to potentially be the end of my career uh i always now feel i'm one sentence away from that being it uh so we tell it so actually i want to i'd love to know about that um anxiety it's instilled mm. in you but first of all let's just back up and would you be able to give us a little summary of what happened when you were cancelled sure yeah i wrote a column I, I do a column every week and i wrote a column and it was about megan and uh, prince harry and um they've got this deal with spotify and i'd made a joke about basically them sort of saying that they were selling out and done, you know, which much has been written. And I said, uh, it was after the birth of their baby. And I said, no doubt a Spotify playlist shall follow, but no bar bar black sheep, because we all know that's racist as a joke. But a few years ago, there'd been a story saying schools were not singing yeah, bar bar black yeah, sheep yeah, thinking yeah. it's racist. Anyway, that was the joke. And then someone on Twitter got hold of it, didn't read it out of context, spread it around Twitter. A charity that I work with, they tweeted the charity saying, this is what Clemmy Moody's written. 
uh, and the charity put out a statement saying this is not in align with our views and basically dropped me the next day and sent me an email and I got bombarded with so much abuse on Twitter couldn't understand what I'd done really wrote, like read Piers Morgan uh, sorry wrote to Piers Morgan rang him in a panic and he said you've done nothing is cancel culture it happens to everyone every single day so do you think it was something that was very much kind of whipped up like a mob yeah. rule thing and everybody Absolutely. getting adrenalinized and all wanting yeah. to pile in one person latched onto one comment out of context and then everyone piled in on me and that was it so how did it make you feel then because i wrote i read the column you wrote about it afterwards and mm. you said just to quote you you said you experienced everything from embarrassment to panic to hurt to deep deep shame yeah i mean i felt i did i think i went through every gamut of emotion i really did and it sounds cliche to say that um and I was just so embarrassed being dropped by a charity for something, you know, the ultimate humiliation, trying to do good and then being called a bad person. And then I had to delete my Twitter. I got hundreds and hundreds of messages. Uh, I, I then got so many messages from friends and family and, and readers just saying, that it's fine, you know, we support you, I hope you're okay. But the, the pile on, when it's happening to you and you're in the eye of the storm, it, just, it takes oh, your breath away, oh, doesn't it? It's the terrifying. savagery of it is, and you get it out of context. I couldn't see. I had to take sleep tablets for the next three nights. I was, I just couldn't think of anything else. And I thought that was the end of my career. I thought I was an awful person. I, I, you read all these things, calling you a monster, and. You're like, oh my God, it's just awful. I know, I know. So, Vinegar, I know, um, so without going into too much detail, I know that you've also been the victim of a Twitter pile Oh, yes, <laughs> oh, yes. I, I've experienced the wrath of the of the fans of of um, of drag, essentially, who want to uh, counsel you just, just for having an opinion. And what's, what I found quite quite funny was is that it's, it's young teenagers essentially who are coming after you know a, a man of a certain age of 30 something um <laughs> who, who, who wears a wig for a living um and tells jokes and the whole thing and the whole thing about drag is that we do kind of sh shade each other and take the mick, mick out of each other in some shape or form um and my my opinion that i had about about um another another drag performer on said show um was again kind of blown out of proportion blown out of context um and especially after a couple of drinks when you're going, you know, I've had two beers, here's my opinion, and you say it in a certain way which is supposed to be a joke and light-hearted and not meant to be harmful to someone, but then it's kind of taken taken another way by someone else and then they're goading the the, the Twitter Digital trolls. Dogs. Yeah, the, 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 the golding the trolls to, 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 to kind of go after um, the person who's, who's made that comment. Um, I don't know, I find it, I just find it really ridiculous and, and Luckily for me, I've got quite a thick skin and I kind of go, it's drag in the day. Like, it's like, you know, after, after 15 minutes, I take everything off and I'm back to normal and I go back to my normal life. So I kind of, um, I didn't let, I tried to not get to me too much, as much as, as much as maybe, you know, yours do. I mean, mine feels like it's like, my new, <laughs> yeah. compared to what- Bar Bar Black what, Sheep. I got cancelled <laughs> for Bar Bar Black Sheep. I got cancelled for, for, for a jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For, for saying, I want, I want to see more than a jumpsuit. Well, get this. So years ago, when I was the arts editor on Channel 4 News, I expressed an opinion on social media and this was something like 2011 this was before we were talking about things like cancel culture and pylons even mm. I, I wasn't even aware of the word troll i said something about um the winner of the mercury music prize which if you remember in the early days of the mercury music prize it was people like take that and the spice girls were nominated and then they just got more and more obscure and other judges trying to out cool each other with yeah. bands you've never heard of and i made some comments about it it unleashed two journalists 
journalist from a broadsheet newspaper said, isn't this man outrageous? He should be fired. Let him know what you think of him. Wow. All the, yeah. So that is literally inciting a pylon. This is the yeah. early days yeah. of Twitter. I wasn't even aware what was going on. The savagery of it, the brutality of it, literally took my breath away. And like you said, Clemmy, the... Um, you know, the heart was just racing. I didn't sleep properly for days. Mm. And it's and actually, if you've had um, horrible experiences when growing up of bullying or whatever, it can be quite triggering. And the whole thing was, it was, I thought, am I overreacting to it? Did I make a stupid comment or, you know, and actually, I look back on the comment now, I could probably have said it more sensitively, you know, but we all have tones of voice. We all have personas. And as a columnist, regular readers would know your yeah, kind of... exactly. But it's horrible. It's horrible, isn't it? Oh, it's just awful. I mean, as you say, when, when it's you, when I, I remember wincing, literally wincing, look at these Twitter, trying to oh, fast yeah. forward, trying to get to the top so I wouldn't have to look. And uh, it's just, it just feels surreal and just seeing these monster words and yeah. hideous, triggering I mean, words. Yeah, I mean, and I just think it's the lengths that people go to over over opinions. Now, don't get, don't get me wrong, I think some people do say some horrific things and actually they, they, they should be called out for it. Of course, yeah. yeah, and, they, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they should be called out for and actually be, be held accountable for, for, for saying something really bad. But if it's over um, a joke or a tiny opinion about something which doesn't really matter, doesn't in, really in, the matter. Gra- in the grand scheme of life... None of us are saving lives here yeah you know. it's crazy you know to, to, to get death threats is just crazy i know none of us are saving lives and the difficulty is that all of us have jobs that involve using social media mm. and actually exploiting the benefits of social media so you can't even i mean you can step away from it for a few days but you can't come off completely i'll tell you what i found frightening actually was people thinking they knew me mm. and um making pronouncements about who i was and the kind of person i was um i had another experience a few years later when um two former employees for a job that i was doing um thought that i voted tory actually nothing <laughs> could be further from the truth but um, they jumped to that conclusion because i kid you not because I went to the ballet to watch a friend who's a ballet dancer they assumed I was a Tory and this thing like the momentum built in their opposition to me and they then got all self-righteous and adrenalinized and saw it as their duty to take me down by whatever means necessary. But even if you had voted Tory, it doesn't make you a bad I person. I know. They right, don't yes. know that they don't know the context. Just, just this I know. assumptions, as you say, about what kind of person I am or what I do in my private life. You have no idea. Don't you start making what do you do, you know? I see you more as like a, t- a Tory Amos or t- a Tory <laughs> person, personally. Do you know what I mean? Love that. <laughs> right. So what do we say when people say isn't cancel culture just bigots getting their just desserts? What do we say to that? Well, because I don't think any of us are bigots. We've no. all had it, so no. Yeah. So do you therefore think that it's, um, obviously, individual incidents aside, the whole kind of, the way it's evolved into a whole culture is frightening and wrong? Well, obviously, as you, as Vinny said, if someone's done something wrong, like properly wrong, or or said something genuinely anti-Semitic or, or whatever... Of course, that person should be called out. Mm. But even that's different between calling out and then sort of the hypocrisy, then bullying that person. It's just like bullying a bully and bullying, a, you know, it just goes, where does it end? Right. So actually, so we, I want to talk about that um, after the break, when it's actually appropriate and right to call somebody out. But just to return to the actual question that we started with, is there an extent to which the right wing has 
sometimes whipped up outrage about cancel culture and inverted commas in order to silence or undermine minorities by just dismissing us all as oversensitive, snowflake, wokes. I know that we've been on the receiving end, but our community actually as LGBTQ plus people mm. is often dismissed as oversensitive, woke, <clears throat> liberal. What do you think, Clemu? Yeah, I mean, I wish I was a snowflake and under twenty-five or whatever they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I don't. I don't think there is like a, a set agenda. I think I think both sides have gone too far. It, it's so binary now. You're either right or you're either wrong. There's no nuance. You can't, uh, you know, you can't be this and be that. And I think there is the the right have gone too far in some things, and I think the left have gone too far in some things, and and that's where it's wrong. What do you think, Vinegar? You're looking at Clemmy. I'm nodding, nodding away. very sagely. <laughs> nodding smile. On um, you know, I think sometimes you know you've got to look at where it starts. If it starts um, on either side, then you kind of have to judge where where, where it's going to go. And I think if if it's going to go too far either way, then then I think the issue needs to come down to okay, how how are we not educating ourselves, educating young people, educating the people who are involved in whatever 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 conversation there is, um, into actually we don't need to cancel this 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 group of people we need to educate you on what this group of people is about in, in some shape or form mm. so all right i want to bring in just before we go to break i want to bring in a couple of comments from listeners jeremy on facebook says so in answer to the question does it actually exist or has it been whipped up to silence minorities like us jeremy on facebook says yes cancel culture exists it is certainly not about justice empowering minorities cancel culture is often simply bullying and intimidation it can be just the online equivalent of mob rule with no attention to individuals or what is said by anyone it can be as crass as people mobilising others with pitchforks and flaming torches to virtue signal their way to attention. Actually, that's what exactly yeah. what it felt like was going on with me yeah. all those years ago at Channel 4 News, and yeah. you agree, Clemmy. Um, Reese on Instagram, however, disagrees. He says it's the reverse. Cancel culture is just the name of a tide running against a traditionally unchallenged establishment, which itself is disempowered by social media. So, what do we think? To what extent do you think people on the right wing try to silence or dismiss or undermine our voice by whipping up a culture war around the idea of cancel culture? I certainly think that, um, yes, individual instances of cancel culture, there is this momentum and everybody gets whipped up like mob rule. But I think there is a bigger picture going on when people try and pit bigger communities against each other in some kind of war. Do you think that? Come on, Clemmy, you're a journalist <laughs> in the, the biggest selling red top in the country. You've got a proper degree, come on. <laughs> Do you is there an actual culture war? Or when they talk about it on coming to first discussion programmes, mm. is that just like a myth to get people outraged? Or do you know what I mean? Well, I think there are people who vehemently don't think you can have an, other, an opinion other than their own. And this is what terrifies me and a friend of mine after I wrote this this column cancel column thing passive aggressively messaged me on Instagram saying is this how you really feel Clemmy and I was like well yes obviously because I wrote it and there was from her point that would means we couldn't be friends and the left can't be friends with the right or you can't have this opinion and be pals with someone who thinks the opposite which I think is ridiculous and I think that's toxic and unhealthy and throughout the ages people have disagreed and had arguments and I just think we're, we're just using it extremism almost to create these culture wars and 
fight amongst ourselves well it's, no, it's yeah toxic um i completely agree but also if you think about all your friends you know we're all multifaceted yeah. complicated human beings which one person is ever going to agree with you on everything, everything. there's mm. no one in which case if you take it to the logical conclusion you're going to have no friends no exactly what do you think vinegar <laughs> i think you're right i think i've got no friends then. Yeah. No, i mean obviously i i can only really relate to um the, the kind of drag culture because because even within the, the drag race culture and the fans and whatnot the fandom you've got that percentage of them who are gorgeous and lovely and so supportive and they support every single person that goes on whatever level they're at they support every single queen that goes on there but there is a percentage of the fandom who um you know that their opinion is right and um and what and what they know about drag is what they've seen on drag race never never been to a gay bar or went to see a, a drag show but they've only seen drag race so they only know what what they know from that so i think sometimes like you've got these this fandom who kind of are pitting, pitting other queer people against other queer people and they're just kind of eat, eat in their own selves alive. Where does it come from, this blind self-belief in our own opinions? And I know this is a real generalisation, but people are associating this with younger people. Mm. Is it something that's shifted um, in the way people are brought up? Well, I think like what you were saying is really interesting. A lot of people that I find are attacking me or whatever, they haven't actually necessarily even bought the sun or as you haven't even been to a gay bar, but mm. yet have read certain things in a broadsheet or watched like drag race and think they are the the expert and then pontificate to everyone else mm. and i think that is really scary when but they're still commentating and i still feel attacked and you feel attacked even mm. though actually we've lived in gay bars and done this and i i work for a tabloid so yeah. i you know yeah and what about so vinegar was saying before the break about um situations in which it is actually acceptable to cancel somebody so first of all if somebody makes a comment and then they actually admit that it was a genuine mistake afterwards, they overstepped a line or whatever, should we practice forgiveness? I mean, it depends what the mistake was. Yeah, if someone yeah, went out sorry. and killed someone with a <laughs> revolver and then said sorry, you know, but obviously there are levels of, you know, forgiveness. And of course, if it was a silly mistake or a wording error or, you know, a grammatical thing, a comma, misplaced comma, that, you know, and it was a genuine error or thoughtlessness rather than intent of being mean so what do you think vinegar i mean you know so there's some examples you know we can use the jk rowling example mm. um where somebody has opinions and then they back them up and back them up um if you disagree with those opinions and you fundamentally think they are wrong is it acceptable to try and get them cancelled oh it's really hard. It's isn't a hard it? one because it is down to the. I don't think you can blanket it as like one one whole thing. It's it's a case by case, individual, um, moment by moment. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I sometimes feel like sometimes, with people who are being cancelled on Twitter or whatever, they tr they try and dig their way out of it, but in turn they dig their way deeper <laughs> into it because wh whatever statement, whatever thing you put up to say, no, this is what I meant. I didn't mean that. There's gonna be. 10,000 people are going to go, no, but I, I disagree with you with that. Um, I mean, I, I put out a statement. I, I handled my, my situation in a certain way, which some people say, yeah, that, that was absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. But a lot of people were like, no, you, you should have done that. You should have done this. And I was like, you just can't win. Yeah. So, so it's not just what you said. It's the way you... Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's the way you do it is, is, is also wrong, you know? So um, I feel like um, it's it's... It's a never-ending battle, I suppose. All right, so I've got a question for you. So we've all shared experiences of being cancelled. Um, have any of us tried to cancel somebody else? 
and then thought they went a bit too far. So I will get the ball rolling <laughs> by sharing one of my own experiences. And I don't know, I felt guilty about it afterwards, but I don't know whether I should have done it or not. So we have an extended family WhatsApp group, cousins, cousins, children, very extended. One particular member has made sexist, racist jokes um, over a long period of time and then made an anti-Semitic joke. At which point, I had called him out on previous jokes, but at that point, I slightly snapped. Um, my boyfriend, fiancé, is Jewish, although actually it was it was more of the accumulation of it. Mm. I had to go at this person who backed up his right to make a joke about whatever he wanted. Can't you take a joke? Blah, blah, blah. At which point, I was outraged, got my brother and sister to back me up, got him off the WhatsApp group, and... Um, I know you're both laughing. You're both laughing. So in the in the heat of the argument, I know I was right. I was right. Um, he should not have made an anti-Semitic joke, even if you get, forget the anti-black jokes and all the rest of it he'd made. Um, if somebody does that, so we're all saying the way that these people go about cancelling you is wrong. So what is the correct way to respond to that? Not to get worked up, presumably. What would you say, right? So, what would you say is the correct way to respond to something like that, Clement? I mean, it's whether A, you respond in the first place, or B, you know, let other people respond on your behalf, which mm. is the wimp's way out, and probably now would be my way out because I'd be too terrified to pile in in case I said something wrong mm. and then I got attacked. So, I think I would hope that other people did the talking for me, if I'm being honest, because I'm too scared of the, the fallout if I said something wrong or I got it mm. wrong. So what would you have done in that situation? Um, the well, situation I've described. Well, I would I would weigh in. Like I've um, e even after my my whole cancelling situation, you can't cancel me. I'm you know I'm from, I'm from, I'm from a council house. You can't cancel me. So um, <laughs> so um, I still weigh in. Like I weigh in even to this day on if there's certain topics that I find have come up with. It's like racism or tra transphobic um, or whatever. Um, if I've got an opinion about it, I will weigh in. I will try and word it in a way which isn't like you're a bleep you're a this you're a that do you know what I mean I will try and do like a, a tweet which is which is a a very educated looking tweet and, it, and it's got all, all the right words the grammar's take right the, all that yeah. kind of stuff take the heat out of it yeah, step because, back yeah. let the emotions so if it's a family situation like yours just to clarify I would obviously step in but I'm just saying a public stepping in I think I'm too scared to do it now well, I always think because because obviously I'm from Drag Race and I, and I have a lot of young queer kids who, who, who actually look, look up to me and what yeah, I yeah, do yeah. I get messages all the time saying oh you're you really inspire me and that kind of stuff I, I kind of word it for them as opposed to wording it for the person as, as such so I want to try and give give that person um, a, a valid opinion of what's, of what's happened but also word it in a way where the kids aren't going to go oh I've actually got a I've actually got a new way of thinking about this um, as opposed to cancel 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 like oh actually let, let me use my brain because I've been inspired by Vinegar or whoever um, to to voice their opinion in a very methodical and mature way as opposed to cancel. Absolutely. And I've just realised when I was telling my story, I didn't let either of you two share the story, <laughs> if you do indeed have one, of cancelling somebody or maybe you think going a bit too far in your methods. Do you think you've ever done that or not? I don't, I don't think on social media I have. I think I've written about people being cancelled and then sort of given an opinion and, and said what they said is wrong or disgusting or whatever and, and weighed in that way. And I'd be a lot more comfortable given my job to yeah. do it in print than I would on social media. I weigh in I weigh in emotionally with friends. Like by in pr private, I will weigh very emotionally like, over whatsapp with, with a friend one-to-one -one. but if it's like on, a, on a, a public platform like i said i'm very like yeah. 
we're going to say it like this. I mean, all some mature and yeah. very good, but this is this is the crux of yeah. the subtext. So. All right. So, right, building on this, what do we think of the words woke and liberal? Because I can remember when woke was used as a positive thing, mm. being in tune to, you know, political events and what's going on around you. Now it seems to be only used in a pejorative sense. The last and year I, it's really changed, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I'm not sure what's happened to the word liberal, which I always thought was a compliment and a good thing. It's now become a dirty word, the liberal elite. The liberal elite, yeah. Would you, so would you use, so how do you use those two words, Clemmy? And when you're writing, do you see that? Do you see the word woke as being... It's almost an inverted commas, isn't it? Yes. Mm, yeah, um, it is. It's yeah. always that. It's people yeah. woke. Yeah, woke. It's always yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah. It, sorry, what was your question? Well, the question is, when you use the words, do you see them as being positive or negative? Well, I think, yeah, liberal. I still think, obviously, that's a positive thing. We all want to be liberal. Oh. Um, it's become a dirty word now. No, People no, say no. it like it's a horrifically disfiguring skin but disease. What, if we're not liberal... It's liberal. It's what we're meant to be. I know, I don't understand <laughs> it. But that is partly what makes me think that we're all being demonised mm. as oversensitive, woke snowflakes yeah. when it's a bit more complicated than that. Would you say, Vinegar, would you use the word... word woke or liberal to describe yourself i've never used the word woke um in my life because I, I, I don't think i'm too old it's like yeah no, I, I, I can i feel like i'm educated and i'm not ignorant to certain things but i don't i don't know i don't know i feel woke just sounds really young and like millennial to me i'm like i'm really i'm really old um yeah i would say i'm liberal but if that's a dirty word then i'm filthy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> i tell you what what i usually try and do when we're discussing these topics is towards the end come to a conclusion i think the difficult thing with this one is it's just striking me now is like who decides what's right or wrong because the moral barometer is constantly shifting over time it's such a slippery issue can we even come to a conclusion about this do you think other than it's horrible being cancelled and we should not go at people with venom and savagery well i think you talk about that people talk about the westminster bubble and the and the twitter sort of metropolitan elite and i really think that is an issue and you go out of london you go north of you know the m25 and people think very differently to us woke liberal elites um and i think that's really important to bear in mind because you lose sight because we're all being told this is what we should think and this is what we should say and if you say this it's wrong and you're going to get cancelled mm. but actually normal people outside of this ridiculous little bubble don't don't really think about the words woke and liberal they just live their lives yeah. without yeah. judgment half the time yeah. or most of the time all right vinegar do you want a part little parting shot on this subject um again i can only really, really fo focus it on on the young people because that, that's where i kind of Bound my my cancelledness. Oh, we sound so old. Oh, no, <laughs> the young people of these days. <laughs> I think I'm the oldest person in the room. <laughs> but um, you know, I do think it comes down to: is this another thing that we need to put put into the schools as like a, as like an educational resource and say, right, how do you ma manage yourself online? Who are you online? Are you someone else? Are you are you yourself? Are you finding yourself through being online as this kind of troll person, or are you? You know, I think I think that's another thing we need to kind of. That's another conversation needs to have in schools and um, amongst teenagers because in the, the day it's the teenagers who are kind of crowding the platforms with their personas and their multiple accounts so you know is there, is there a way to kind of tap into that so yeah brilliant lots to think about
You're listening to the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Now we're going to be pausing our debates to have a little chat with Clemmie Moody. Clemmie, tell us, as a journalist, you've predominantly worked for the tabloids. What would you say to people, usually older gay men and lesbians, who say we shouldn't engage with the tabloids because of their history of homophobia and transphobia? Oh, we get that all the time. I get that all the time. Uh, what I would say is I wasn't around. I was five years old when a lot of this stuff was being written, which was... Horrific, absolutely. There's no defence for the the awful things that have been written. There is no defence. Um, but the only way you can make a difference is by making a difference. And what I can do now is overseeing the LGBTQ plus coverage and making sure it's positive and accurate and and fair and good. So and do you brilliant. do that? Do you wear dim when you know you've yeah, got? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll now consult me on sort of you know gay stories and and say, is this all right? Is this wording all right? And and you know just get make sure the tone's right. I know it sounds silly, but there's ways of saying things that mm. I would you know, if I read it in another publication, I'd think, oh, that just sounds like it's written by a straight sixty-five-year-old bloke. And do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And the flip side of that argument is, so I've written for The Sun, The Daily Mail, but the flips, and part of the reason I've done that is the flip side of the argument is what I'd like to think of as the Claire Balding argument when she serialised her autobiography in The Daily Mail mm. and she said, well, look, if I want to change opinions, you go to the readers of The Daily Mail rather than the readers of The Guardian if exactly. you're talking about... You know, so do you do you think there's something in that? Absolutely. I think that's a really, really good point and, it, and it's right. People don't necessarily expect me to work for The Sun. Um, but times have changed. The sun has changed so much in the last few years. And, you know, we were the first tabloid to do a uh, double page spread on It's a Sin. And we've got three gay writers, myself including two men, to do first hand experiences and accounts of what it was like being gay in the 80s and that kind of thing. And, um, and you know, times are changing. And I think some people are basing their experiences of tabloids on 20, 30 years ago. And that's not fair. And tell us about your column for The Sun, because it's generating a lot of attention. Um, what kind of subjects do you most enjoy writing about? What do you look for when you're picking what to write about? Well, when I first started, obviously my, show, my background is showbiz, so I felt safest doing that. And, you know, I was a bit nervous about writing about uh, sort of von der Leyen and, and, and COVID and, and, you know, the EU. And I thought, oh, gosh, do I know what I'm talking about? But actually, you, you sort of, you get... A voice and you get confidence and you, and you actually I have as much right as anyone else to and express an opinion you might not always agree with it and sometimes you you do but yeah stuff I enjoy writing about is you know the fluffier stuff um, <laughs> <laughs> when you're in no danger yeah. of winding anybody up yeah exactly um and what, one thing I do try and do is my token sort of feminist dance uh, traditionally uh for a column you always use a, a picture of a glamorous woman it's just what's always been done and I always try and use a sports person or uh, someone over 50 or I did Joan Collins I do Amanda Holden I do a lot of sports people um, and I, or, yeah, I did Alison Hammond I just try and do someone different that isn't sort of typically glam is my sort of token trying to do something different okay i've got a question for you that i'd love to know what you think i've always i've always loved the idea of doing a column but being frightened because i've always thought the way to be successful as a columnist is to make a splash but and that's oh, usually by that. winding people up and you know we've just been talking about online outrage cancel culture you know if you're a sensitive person how do you go about getting people talking without annoying them? Oh, you, well, you don't. Um, I did a I did a lead about anti-vaxxers, and I didn't realise that an anti being an anti-vaxxer was a thing, and and there is a real Twitter mob of anti-vaxxers. I had no idea until the next day. I got death threats. I got um, I got called a Nazi. I got called everything. 
and, and I and I just couldn't understand. I woke up and looked at my Twitter and I thought, what have I written? Am I going mad? It's a parallel universe. And then it was just all these anti-vaxxers. So yeah, for example, that. You know. Interesting. So did that not hurt you as much as the other one? As the other cancelling? That was, that was my first one. This one, because it was anti-vaxxers and I do, I do think for the greater good, we probably should get jabbed. Yeah, so I'm yeah. quite passionate about it. Um, yeah. But being called something that you're not, that's when it's personal and that's when it hurt. The anti-vaxxers, that's water for duck's back because <laughs> I disagree with you, but you're entitled to your opinions. So is there anything, um, as a sensitive human being, is there anything that you wouldn't write about? Or for any reason, actually, not just wanting to avoid online outrage? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, no, I would just be sensitive and nervous about writing about, you know, certain issues that I wasn't qualified to write about, you know, and I'd be so nervous to offend someone and say the wrong thing and be stupid and ignorant by it. And so I'd be nervous about that sort of thing, which, which perhaps sounds weird. Well, it's not weird. Interestingly, at my day job, I usually, at the moment, write novels and publishers... They and I'm have... reading your current one and very oh, much enjoying it. Thank Wonderful. you very much. I thank that, you. Well, interestingly, in fiction, in publishers, they, they will give you a sensitivity reader oh. um, to check, for example, as you, so you say you will check over gay-themed copy at mm -hmm. the paper. I always insist on having black mixed-race characters, but I don't want to get something wrong mm -hmm. as a white person. Thankfully, they have a sensitivity reader. Yeah. Well, that's great. I need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get people talking about it. Let's whip up some outrage so oh, you please, get one. Not again, please. No. The Sunday Roast with Matt Cain. Virgin Radio Pride. My delightful panel, Clemmy Moody and Vinegar Strokes, are still here. And we're now going to be talking about misogyny in drag. Is there misogyny in drag? So, with RuPaul's Drag Race UK confirmed to return to our screens for a third season later this year, drag is fast becoming more popular than ever. But when it focuses on slutty behaviour, catfighting, or uses derogatory language about women, can it sometimes stray into misogyny? I am thrilled that we are now joined by Benny Fernando, better known as Drag Queen Asia Thorne. Now, we've already got one drag queen in the studio, but I'm delighted Benny is here as a Filipino drag queen living in the UK. She, as Asia Thorne, has performed at Brighton Pride and many other places. So, Benny, you've said in the past that drag is all about loving yourself. Could you tell us how this manifests in your drag, your performances? Well, um, as a drag queen, I always want to feel loved as well. And at the same time, I also want the audience to feel loved. So every time I go on stage, I just make sure to manifest like, you know what, I'm going to have a great time on stage you're going to have a great time and we're all going to feel loved and accepted. So, yeah, that's Asia Thorne for you. But in terms of going back to the question that we're discussing today, have you, you know, we're talking about how drag can sometimes tip over an edge and be a bit derogatory about women. Have you ever done a gig or even just told a joke when afterwards you've thought, ooh, I slightly stepped over a line there and it was a bit disrespectful towards women? 
Thankfully, none yet. <laughs> and I hope it remains that way. But no, I haven't, thankfully. So, but right. So we're going to go over to our other drag queen, Vinegar Strokes, in just one second. But can I ask you before we do, have you ever witnessed misogyny or derogatory remarks about women or caricaturing of women amongst other drag queens on the circuit. Do you think it is a problem? Um, recently, thankfully, it's I don't really see it as a problem. I mean, I was also telling some of my colleagues, like, surprisingly, most of the drag brunches that I do, most of the, um, the cabaret events that I do, most of it are women. Most of it are ladies who are like, hey, queen, enjoying this um, this art form that we have. And it's surprising that now I'm discussing about this topic, which is, do I really see it? Maybe it was an issue before. Recently, maybe we've kind of honed it in a way that, you know what, let's be more accepting of it. And maybe let's just focus on your talent rather than lambasting what women are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Think, yeah. Absolutely. Do you think having so many female fans yourself, um, do you think that almost, and actually the fact that there are so many female fans of drag in general now, yeah. particularly mm -hmm. with how mainstream it's gone with RuPaul's Drag Race, do you think that kind of polices it? If drag queens were ever going to inadvertently stray into misogyny, you know, the atmosphere in the room would kind of rein them in? I, I hope so. I would love to think so that it did help, if you know what I mean. Um, because I think uh, in this day of age, being woke, uh, oh, I will always use that word, is something that I think everyone should be at least mindful of. And if that's your audience, then you have to respect that your audience pretty much pays the tickets to get into your show. So you have to be very, very careful with that. And you know what? Um, I will always still have jokes about women. Like, for example, my sister. Because I think I have reference to my family. So I can play jokes with them. But not literally in general. Or I won't pick on a, a lady in front of me just because I want to play with her. But if it's like maybe a sister of mine's watching a show, then I'll play with her. But that's all for love of it, yeah. Right. Vinegar, what's your take on this? Have you ever done a joke about a woman about in drag and thought, oh, actually, that wasn't very respectful towards women? Mm. Um... Uh, very early on when I was crafting my, because I'm, I'm very much a live performer, so I do stand-up comedy, I sing, I tell I tell jokes, tell stories, whatever. Um, I think early on, I think I kind of went down the route of who are my main inspirations? And it was the Joan Rivers, Lisa Lampanelli kind of, you know, insult comic kind of vibe but with but with, with that kind of tongue-in-cheek heart, heart on the sleeve kind of vibe so yeah I've, i think I've, I've definitely made a couple of jokes which kind of maybe landed in one place but didn't land in another place um not to be you know um mean or attacking a certain group of people but i think if you can kind of tell jokes with with love people kind of get it and i think i, I think only on like the couple of occasions where i'm like oh Maybe that didn't land as much as I do, but there wasn't no kind of like, you're now cancelled for, for saying that kind of thing. It was just like, okay, it didn't land, no, no laughter, okay, next, you can kind of scrap that. Um, for me, as um, and I agree with the fact that drag is is definitely an element of loving yourself. But for me personally, it's all about, it's also um, loving loving women as well. And I and I find that my drag is so inspired by working class women, especially like my mum is, is a massive inspiration for for my drag and what I say, what I do, um, and other kind of like working class heroes that I that I've seen on TV, whatever that inspired me growing up. So I think there is a kind of thing where if drag can really um, 
champion women and champion um you know women as a whole i think that's 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 a great thing like drag can do okay let's ask the woman in the room yes <laughs> climate have you uh, so vinegar is saying drag is a celebration of women have you ever watched drag when you have thought it's gone from being a celebration to making a mockery of women well no i think if you if you especially sort of 10 years ago i think it's it's modernized so much and there's so much warmth now i think 10 years ago it, it wasn't a bit more catty and bitey mm. but that's what you expected and it's it's all said in good humor and you shouldn't really get offended i don't think i've ever you know i don't get offended that easily apart from on twitter um and and no i, I I don't think so. All right. Well, well, go on. I was going to ask Benny a question, but Vinegar's ready to go. <laughs> Took it in breath. Um, I just, I, I think it does come down to someone being quite skilled at being able to roast the room. Okay, I think, I think you can't just be someone who's just put put a wig on for five minutes ago and gone. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a go and and see what happens. I think you have to be quite skilled at reading a room and knowing how to create a tone in what you're saying. So, so, so you're not offensive because I've seen dra drag queens be very offensive to women and actually. I think that it can feel the chill in the room, as it were. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. So Benny, um, this slightly comes down to me. Uh, it's about how we understand drag. So if you look at the dictionary definition, it will say the art of female impersonation. Usually, as a performance is thrown in the definition somewhere. But in which case, doesn't the focus on slutty behaviour plus the dumbness of some of the drag personas plus the competitiveness mm -hmm. and bitchiness between the queens that is problematic isn't it you know what <laughs> when i read this question or when i actually read that i was like it's not even defining women it's defining gay men <laughs> but uh, come to think of it it's it's i don't really i never associated it um to women i think again Previously, maybe that was the case. That's how they depict women as like, oh, we're petty, oh, we're, uh, we're slutty. But now it's like, when you say, sorry for the term, if you say slutty, it's more of like, no, I'm not slutty. I'm just confident with what I'm wearing right now. Um, oh, that's not... interesting. So, right? so we're seeing it as a derogatory thing, slutty behavior, but you're saying it's sex positivity. Exactly. It's body positivity. Like, I don't give a dude what I'm wearing. I'm confident. I'm going to wear it. And guess what? I'm going to own it. So I think that at some point makes it in a way that you know what it's not really that it's more of like it's how you carry yourself so all right so let's take it in a slightly different direction vinegar what about some of the language used so we've already used the b word which is um standard being banded around between queens but there's also the description of a queen who looks suspiciously like a woman as fishy mm. um do you feel comfortable with all the lexicon um, in the drag kind of vocabulary. Sorry, what does fishy mean? So fishy, uh, or fishy apparently actually is quite offensive to trans women. Um, so fishy is supposed to be looking looking like and passing as a woman essentially so, right. if, so if, you're, if you're a man in drag and you and your makeup looks a certain way your hair whatever your body looks a certain way you could basically pass as a woman people go are you a woman yeah you're a woman maybe so um yes yeah, so that that apparently now is quite offensive so for me oh, I, I don't know i i understand the vocab and i, and I understand where, where, where it all comes from i think drag race um has definitely perpetuated um the way that i go back to it the way that young viewers watch it and the way they kind of learn how drag works and how and how people do drag um and the vocab basically comes along with that i suppose 
suppose. Um, but for me, I I just want to see people who can entertain. I actually don't care how great you look. I don't care how, how, how your body looks. If you can make me laugh, cry, or sing along, um, that is the main thing I want to see. I don't care if you're in a bin liner. I don't care. Just entertain me. Right, so I've got um, another question for you, which is, someone said to me, we're going to bring in some listener comments later, but someone said to me, a white person, they think the current obsession with drag is going to look really dated in a few years, and we're going to look back and see it as just as bad as blackface. And when I googled this, a Republican politician, Mary Cheney, who's somehow related to Dick Cheney, I think she may be his daughter, she's written about this. Mm. Um... Now, I believe this under this kind of, you know, completely um, diminishes the horrors of the history of blackface and what it did. But as, you know, as a black drag queen, do you think there is anything in this? Um, no, <laughs> I, I don't. Um, I do agree that maybe at some point people go, OK, we've done drag, we've done baking, we've done sewing. What's next? No, painting, decorating. Is that something we can get obsessed with? Uh, so I, I do think that the obsession for drag could could go out. Who knows? But um, I think that comment is absolute. Get ready to bleep this. Beep. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, you know, it's, yeah. All right. So I'm interested in talking about the language. We mentioned the word fishy is offensive. They change. I've noticed on RuPaul's Drag Race, they change the script. So there used to be a line, may the best woman win. Mm which they changed in the script a few seasons ago to make the best drag queen win. Mm -hmm. And now they've changed that in the title music too. So when you, um, Clemmy, see RuPaul's Drag Race, I'm assuming you're a viewer. Yes. Um, do you, when they say may the best woman win or when they used to say that, did you find it offensive? I don't know what the um, reasoning for changing it was, but did you find it offensive? Do you prefer the current version? No, it's just all, I mean, I didn't notice the change, to be completely honest, but it's all, Part, you're watching a show wanting glamour and fun and escapism, aren't you? So exactly I think it's it, it's just part of the fun. I think you're almost taking it too seriously if you start sort of overanalyzing yeah. it. I think I think that that change happened because there was a there was a it, there was like a awokeness in inverted commas um, about uh, tra trans women and trans the trans identity within drag as well. I remember um, a, a trans contestant um, who was on the show years ago um, who then was on the show um, as, a, as a boy and then and, and then transitioned um i think they definitely um had had a big vo vocalization saying hang on a minute if if you've got because like, there was a whole thing of um you've got she male which is oh, now yeah, gone yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is now turned into um um oh girl all <laughs> this kind of stuff so i think she that, already did her yeah, yeah, or something. so i think and so i think <laughs> so i think what what the show has done is that they've gone okay they've actually listened to these things and taken that on board and, and made their changes where, where they could um and made it right more accessible I've got lots of listener comments. I'm going to read out a handful. Reese on Instagram says, Drag is a man's interpretation of womanhood. It's never going to be perfect. Campbell X on Instagram says, Slutty behaviour is okay. Sex positivity for all genders is great. It's the insulting remarks about women's bodies which might venture into misogyny. Rachel on Twitter says, Yes, it can do, can venture into misogyny, but that's the sort of drag that used to impress straight people back in the 70s and 80s. One of our panellists made that comment earlier. Now the UK drag scene is leading the way in being progressive particularly queens like Cheddar Gorgeous. Finally, Christian on Twitter says, drag isn't really about women, though. Surely it's about it's more about gay men parodying themselves. 
Benny Fernando, do you parody yourself as a gay man when you are in drag? as Asia Thorne? I believe no, because I think Asia is an extension of Benny, but it's not really parodying myself. She, Asia's just a different person. And um, I don't know how Vinegar feels. Vinegar, how do you feel about that? I, I mean, agree with you, my love, I agree. Um, but do you know what? Actually, I've never thought, I'm actually just sitting there thinking about that comment and going, maybe, maybe, 20% of Vinegar Strokes is a parody of Daniel in some some way. Because as I said, as I said, Vinegar is 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 just basically Daniel turned up to level 10. And again, I'm not trying to be a woman. I'm trying to be a clown. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be entertainment. I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm going to, to Lidl now. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to the circus, <laughs> essentially. Um, so, but, but it is the same thing where you, you do pop on all the, the wigs and that kind of stuff. And you do have that kind of sense of power. Um, and with the right audience, the right jokes, the right songs, the audience are putty in your hands, and you're and you're there at, at, at their beck and call to entertain them and give them a give them a night and take them out of their issues, take take them out of COVID for an evening, take, take them out of that of that cancer scare they've had, you know. And it's and it's is that thing. I also like to say as well, drag is also um, you know it's, for me it's one of two things: it's a party and and it's political. And I think when we when we look at the the broad scale of good drag queens that are out there you can see that they're teetering on both of these sides and i think it's, it's up to the audience member to go i want to go to this person because i want to learn something i want to go to this person because i want to be insulted i want to go to this person because i want to you know feel feel a certain way so and when you see a bad drag queen do you wince inside and do you just think oh you're doing the rest of the good ones a disservice not, not, not that not that um not that you can see bad drag queens i think you just see performances where you can kind of go oh well, this person's just watched drag race and they're kind of doing it i like I like queens who have kind of watched Drag Race and obviously been inspired, but also got references outside of Drag Race to 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 create that show and create that person. All right, so Vinegar's mentioned that drag can be political. You've talked about audience members. We've got two audience members in the discussion who aren't drag queens. So, Clemmy, one of the things that I love about drag as a viewer is the idea of it as gender anarchy, just disrupting gender norms, traditions, expectations. Drag is a political revolutionary act, like the bearded drag queens, Conchita Worst. I love all that. Is that something that hits your spot as an audience member? Yeah, I mean, I'm, again, not giving it too much sort of political thought, if I'm honest. It's just an escapism and enjoyment and, and fun for me. And I think hearing that there is so much political thought is a bit of an education for me. I think I was a bit naive and I just thought, this is just fun. Oh, no, and then... there's, there's loads, of, especially when, when you've got topics like uh, BLM, um, the Me Too movement, especially when, when we then go into drag kings and, and AFAB queens, then we can, then you, for me, a lot of the, the political queens that I, that I see, they're all like actually female bodied performers who are, who are, talking about their uh, struggles through through that which is art. so like empowering and inspiring yeah. isn't it and important to see i yeah. think it's really important to see okay right so you you mentioned this before the music as well in the first half of our discussion you know the idea of it's not just gay men performing impersonating women let's talk about female drag queens you know it doesn't necessarily have to be about men if you look at michelle visage everybody says she's a drag queen mm. <laughs> um and as you said earlier earlier vinegar there's now been plenty of trans women who've appeared on repulse drag race including one trans man got mick who i absolutely loved sure. so does so benny would you say this the fact that there's trans men trans women um cis women 
performing as drag queens. Does this alter the argument that we're discussing, the whole thing about misogyny in drag? Well, the, the, the fact of the matter is it was trans women who started drag, if my history is correct. So I don't really... Um, I mean, in terms of this argument, does it diminish misogyny? Um, I can't really say that because, uh, um, you know, it's it's really different because on the standpoint of my drag, I don't think I'm misogynistic. Again, that's me. Um, but in drag persona itself, I really can't say it uh, in general because there's different types of drag and, you know, but, it, I mean, it definitely makes it more complicated, doesn't it? We can't make a generalisation about um, Correct, gay, yeah. gay men dressing up as women and what this says about their views of women because, actually, there's women doing drag and there's exactly, yeah. trans women and trans men. So it does. It certainly gives a different level and a different layer to the yes. argument, doesn't it? It does, and it's 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 a longer conversation. And if, and if we're going to discuss that, we're going to be here the whole day, but we don't have the whole day. Okay, I'm going to bring in another listener comment from Paul on Twitter. Ultimately, drag is a celebration of women, a point we made earlier. That fascinating relationship between some gay men and their female divas, Madonna, Whitney, it's unbreakable. I would hope drag is an extension of that. Gay male drag queens know what it feels like to be othered, marginalised, made to feel like second-class citizens, as have women historically. I think there's a fascinating link and a bond there against hierarchical systems and the patriarchy. I'm reading out the tweet exactly. Um, what do you think about that, Vinegar? Talking about um, the politics of it. Is it about overturning the patriarchy? I think it always has been, hasn't it? Like, you know, from, from Boy George to, um, you know, the, the queens in, in the gay bars, which are all underground and could get could get turned over by the police at any second. Um, you know, I think there's always been a, a political stance to what drag is and also what drag can do i think drag opens up such a massive conversation i mean if we look back onto like american tv uh, you know a group of drag queens including rupaul go, go, going on to um i don't know sally jesse Raphael, and Geraldo and talking about the the, the whole club clubbing culture and the club key culture it's it, it's a political st stance and statement because actually they're putting themselves out there to be there and to and to say to you know cisgendered straight white you know society we are the difference and we're coming for for you to see us in, in that way so yeah I think I think it it's always has to be political in some shape or form because there is always a voice that needs to be heard from someone in that in that group essentially um, right somebody said earlier I can't remember who um, made the point about drag kings why do you think drag kings aren't nearly as popular as drag queens is this another example of misogyny because we want to laugh at women and send them up on stage but not laugh at men and stereotypical exaggerated caricatured maleness have you are you a fan of drag kings clemmy i've never seen a live drag king ever ever neither have i i've seen i've seen one or two on telly why did what's your hunch as to why they are less popular and have punched through to the mainstream less I, th I think partly it's a visual aesthetic thing. They're not as pleasing to the eye, no matter you know whether it's as a clown or a pantomime figure or as a beautiful, glamorous thing. We all want to look at 
something that's going to be fun and uplifting. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, you, you I think we're happy to celebrate drag kings in the form of Catherine Tay or Kathy Burke in on, on a TV show. Um, but I, I mean, I've seen plenty of drag kings and they're just as great, if not better than, than, than some drag drag queens. Um, but I, I think I think I think as a gender issue here, we there's something that's keeping these women or female bodied performers back because they are female essentially. And I think I think there needs to be a platform to 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 push these performers out because, like I said, they're just as good, if not better, than some drag. Yeah, I'd love queens. to. I'd be really intrigued. Yeah, there's there's loads. There's loads. Um, give, you can give us some tips after the show because I definitely want to see some. Yeah. We we need to wrap up this discussion, and I would just like to refer back to a previous episode of this show when we talked about um, oversensitivity in comedy and people saying, "Oh, nobody can take a joke anymore. You can't say anything." So what I want to say, let's go to you first, Benny. If we weed out misogyny from drag or anything that could be remotely disrespectful or offensive to women, is it going to undermine the art form or is it going to make it better and stronger or make it less fun? What's your take on this? Um, We don't want to offend anyone. So I think if we get that off, I think it's just going to be better at some point we're in. Get a new material. It's an old material. Making fun of women is an old material. Get some new material. Make fun of yourself. Make fun of things that you see around you. It doesn't have to be women, but... um, yeah, and continue spreading love, as I said. Fantastic. Uh, we've got a very quick section for parting shot from you, Vinegar. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, get a wig on, get some makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Just, just, just like support each other. I think if you're part of the queer community, support each other in what we do whether it's whether it's journalism to, to performance to whatever it is i think the only way that we can build this community and get and get it moving forward is just to support each other mm-hmm. and yeah move it forward like that this is the virgin radio pridecast I am Matt Kane, and this is Sunday Roast on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm going to now pause our debates to have a little chat with the glorious Vinegar Strokes. So, Vinegar, tell us about your journey into drag. What was it that gave you drag fever? Oh, God. Gave me drag fever. Um, unemployment gave me drag fever. <laughs> Basically, um, I've trained as an actor, so I went to drama school, did all that stuff, and was doing lots of theatre work, and then it all just kind of dried up, so I wasn't getting many auditions, um, and I always was like, okay, I need to get myself back on the stage in some shape or form. So I started doing stand-up comedy, which was going quite well, and then someone said, why don't you wear a wig and, and wear a dress? I was like, all right, sure. I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And then I I got paid for doing that so I was like okay I'll do it um, and then the kind of p- puzzle pieces just all fit together and uh, what five years later here we are now so it's so yeah it's been quite a quick quick journey but good and five years later the acting's picked up too you've been in everybody's talking about Jamie and Death Drop I know and I'm, I'm more I'm more after that as well like I've done so much um, I think drag's definitely been a great facilitator in me kind of going into more acting jobs not just like musicals but also plays as well and you know exploring different roles so yeah and in terms of drag when you're playing a persona how does that differ 
from acting and playing a character? Is there um, a parallel? Depending on the piece, I mean, when, when it's Vinegar Strokes, it's very much like it's Daniel, but like just turned up to 10, essentially. And Daniel's all, already at like level eight already. So, you know, we're already, already almost there. Uh, but when it comes to shows like Jamie or Death Drop or random like fringe shows or whatever, um, if I'm creating a, a, a character who happens to be um, androgynous or a drag character or like, or whatever, um, I very much go down my, my route of acting training and how and how would I you know it's no it's no different from playing a man it's like I'm just I'm just creating a person and creating a character and going from there but alongside the acting the drag is going from strength to strength our listeners will remember you from the first series of RuPaul's Drag Race UK how did it feel to be part of a team of queens bringing drag to mainstream British telly mm. pretty much for the first time or the first time in recent memory. Yeah, it, it was crazy. I, I think when, when when you're in that bubble of, of recording and filming you, and you're getting all your looks together and that kind of stuff, you are so tunnel visioned of kind of get, getting yourself ready for the show and then you get there and you're doing the show and you kind of forget that people will, will see this. Like I, I I legit like forgot people will even watch this and even now people, people recognise me out of drag or in drag I'm like, oh yeah, I did that thing. So, um, I don't know, it's the kind of thing where I'm so grateful that I was part of the first ever cast um, and it's amazing to see it kind of flourish and grow and see where it is now, like, worldwide, which is great. So, yeah, I'm very grateful to be part of it. And I don't know how you fit all this in, but you've also got a band, Vinegar Strokes, Vinegar Strokes and the Morning Afters. Yes, we're live, but there's no lip syncing. Do you know what? I pride myself on being a live performer. Um, So, yeah, we're a complete live band. Um, We've got a gig, actually, on Saturday, uh, which I'm looking forward to. But, yeah, we're we're like a covers band with a twist. It's like synthy pop music. Um, but we tell like stories like it's 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 very kind of Bet Midler. Do you know what I mean? It harks back to Bet Midler style entertainment. Very very quite crass in some places. Um, but the band are just absolutely amazing. So yeah. And when you say Bet Bet Midler, you're not talking about the Hollywood films. You're talking about her in Gersona. We're doing... not talking about you know Hocus Pocus. Although I do I do put a spell on you. Uh, we are we're talking about gay gay sauna style. I mean we're into a few of those. A gay sauna style. <laughs> Uh, vaudeville, you know, sticky, you know, comedy, meeting songs and storytelling. Um, I'm, I'm all about just telling stories and entertaining through that. So, yeah, it's great. I love it. Fas- fantastic. And um, you've mentioned things coming up. So has COVID had much impact on your the work that you're getting? Um, I feel like I've been busier than normal um, during COVID. Um, I did a lot of, like, random, like, online things at home. Um, but no, I'm still doing lots of filming. Um, I'm off to Denmark over the summer to to work on an opera so I'm doing my first my first opera I'm the first dra- drag artist to uh, to step on the Danish opera stage which is going to be amazing um, and then Panto at Christmas which is great I love it from yeah, opera so to Panto from, 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 from Copenhagen to uh, to Seven Oaks in Kent so you know it's just it's just a wave it's a wave <laughs> fantastic well you're more likely to see me at Seven Oaks Panto than the Copenhagen opera or the sauna <laughs> <laughs> The Sunday Roast with Matt Cain. Virgin Radio Pride. Now, finally, I want to have a quick chat about the Olympic Games because everyone listening surely will know that they finally kicked off in Tokyo only a year late. So let's have a little chat about them. Vinegar, are you looking forward to watching the Games? Well, I didn't know it was on, but now, <laughs> but now I do. And I love the Olympics. I, I prefer it to football, that stuff. Like, Olympics is so gay and so calm. I can't wait. Um, 
Because even the rings are rainbows, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they are. Rainbow flag. Yeah. Tell us, are there any events in particular, Clemmy, that you're looking forward to watching or any athletes you're watching? Oh, well, this year I am slightly underwhelmed just because there's been so little fanfare and I feel really sorry for the athletes because they've given up five years of their life training for this huge event and we're all sort of like, oh, when's it starting? Oh, what channel? Mm. You know, it's, it's horrible. Except looking on the positive side for viewers from who are members of the LGBTQ plus community, this year there are more athletes from our community competing than ever before. There's actually over 160 and that's more than all the out athletes at past Olympic Games combined. So what do we think? Um, if you think about all those countries, some, it will still be illegal to be gay in those countries. You know, we were talking earlier to Philip and Sasha about what it was like mm. for gay men in this country years ago. In some countries, um, it's still going to be like that. Mm -hmm. All these people come together. There is supposed to be this element of bringing the world together, a diplomatic element. Um, how do you feel about the record number of LGBTQ plus athletes, Clemmy? Well, that's brilliant, isn't it? And it's inspiring and it's great. And, um, you know, obviously Tom Daly was the pin-up boy for, for you boys, maybe. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's not just Tom Daly, you know, now. It's it's girls, it's boys. and, and The I girls in brilliant. particular. Yeah. There's, I mean, the female football, apparently um, the British numbers are slightly skewed because there's so many lesbian footballers. Yeah. And again, I think it was five years ago, the, um, the England women's captain came out and that was a bit of a big deal. And now it's just not. And that was only five years ago. Mm. Yeah, a few years ago, people used... I can't remember the name of the couple. People used to refer to them as the hockey lesbians. Oh, the hockey... Yeah, uh, but, yeah Kate and something. And But there's loads yeah. now. It's not just a few. Vinegar, what do you think about the idea of all these athletes from all these different backgrounds coming together in the Olympic Village? I find that fascinating. If it were a social experiment, you know, there'd be a lot going on, wouldn't there? If this was Big Brother, it would just be like, you know, a big, I don't know, like a big OnlyFans account, wouldn't it? Like, it's... it's, <laughs> it, it's do you know what? I actually think it's really inspiring as well. I think the more the more queer people that come out in this in this in this realm um, I just think it's so inspiring for again young I feel like I'm like a teacher young people of today <laughs> oh, no, seeing no. that because sometimes if you don't see, see yourself in something you might be interested in um, you, you I don't know you kind of don't really connect to it as much as you can and let yourself out so I, I completely agree okay so you were joking about um, the sexiness of the athletes here we're all obsessed with their sex lives every year there's a story about the number of condoms used <sighs> in the athletes village or whatever um, this year there was a report of anti-sex beds to stop athletes from spreading COVID. I saw something COVID. about this on TikTok. Uh, Apparently it's actually not true. There was a guy bouncing up and down on the bed, wasn't there? Something yeah. like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. But, it, but it's interesting, isn't it, that there is a fascination with athletes' sex lives. because they're so hot. Is that what he like, does? Like, come on, <laughs> they're just so hot, like, and talented. I think there's something quite interesting about hot, talented people who can get their legs behind their ears. I think it's, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great, so yeah. But actually, speaking about the gay ones, do you two remember in Rio 2016 when that journalist from the Daily Beast switched on Grindr in the Olympics in the Athletes Village and outed some of them? And some of them were from countries where it was still illegal to be gay. That's awful. I didn't know. Do you not remember that? that? And that is disgusting. That's, that's, That's awful. But it does, it does. I mean, if it is supposed to have an element of international relations, it does bring home to you. If you're putting together people in, you know, the same village from Russia, Papua New Guinea, um, 
Polynesia, I don't know, like all over the world. Um, it is fascinating, isn't it? And yes, the sport is great, but I kind of want to know what you know what goes on in this village i can see why people I are so fascinated around. like i said big brother we need we need, we need big olympic brother we format that yeah exactly we need we need <laughs> we need old um what's her face there clever uh, holding yeah davina mccall pregnant again of um, and yeah we, we want to see it so from a tabloid journalist point of view um clement is, are there any elements of the olympics other than the sport mm. that um that work to kind of to you know get the interest of your readers. Yeah, for example, I think in tomorrow's paper we've got a glamorous. I think it's a football American footballer, not a big sort of page three uh, girl, if you like. Um, and I think a lot of the, the the sports people, their personal lives and their glamour, especially in their home countries like America, have overtaken almost their profile as an athlete. And there is an interest in the backstory, not just how many press ups they can do or mm. how well they can throw a ball into a net. Unfortunately for the athletes, as somebody mentioned earlier, the launch has been a bit underwhelming this year because of COVID. They're going to have no spectators. Um, I wonder if I wonder how it is going to affect things. Whether there's going to be such interest around the world, or maybe do we all need it now? Do we all need to get behind our countries? What do you think? So, Vinegar, you said you'd hardly noticed the launch of this year's games, and you're normally into it. I love it, but I had no idea. Um, I think, well, I think we've been very creative over the last couple of years of like, if there is something big happening, we 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 make sure we can watch it somehow and enjoy it, and also interact in a sort of, sort of certain way. So, you know, whether it's through social media can that be a thing i don't know i think just get creative tokyo and make and make us watch and well, make us enjoy it's interesting isn't it as a human being i keep thinking how frightened must those athletes be where are worried about getting pinged can you imagine if one of them as you said clement <sighs> they're trained for five years can oh. you imagine if one of them catches covid well one of the british girls did and she's go she's got tested positive this week and um she's out and she was the favorite apparently oh, oh it just it's heartbreaking. heartbreaking isn't it for them awful Anyway, right, let's say something positive to end. <laughs> we hope they've got six packs, they've got gorgeous. gorgeous bodies. We hope they don't catch COVID and we hope they win lots of medals. Yes. <laughs> yes, we need more like gold post boxes around London, don't yes. we? <laughs> Absolutely. Right, that's about it for this week. Thanks very much to my guests, Clemmy Moody, Vinegar Strokes, and Benny Fernando. I'll be back with a brand new panel and some brand new discussions at the same time. Time next week. Drop me a line if you've enjoyed the show, if you want to share an experience or just want to have your say. If you're looking for us on social media, we're on at Virgin Radio UK and please use the hashtag Virgin Radio Pride. I am on at Matt Kane Writer or you can email us on pride at virginradio.co.uk. See you at the same time next Sunday.